Hello, it is great to be back. Yes, it's been a while. In fact, it's been more than a year, technically. And I now know what having a child can do to your everyday schedule. Thank you for listening to the Records and Rest podcast. I'm going to hit the year in 2016 in music, and I'm only, wow, I'm only 15 days late. But things have been especially crazy in college basketball, where I earn my money, and it's been an amazing season. But between that having a child who can now run, scream, walk, and throw things, and throw things at me, it has put the podcast not even on the back burner. It's it's just dropped it completely off my radar, unfortunately. Now, I do have, real quick before I get into the year in music, I have a handful of episodes that I recorded last spring and summer. They have been just sitting on my computer, but I need to edit them, and I want to get you know music underneath some of it. So I do want to do that and get those up very, very soon. I've been meaning to do it for a while. It's just the day-to-day workflow has been crazy over the past three months, essentially. And that takes about, to be honest, it'll take me probably about 12 hours to get all those up at once. And the other plan was to have the podcast done in season form so I would record you know eight to twelve episodes over the course of three weeks upload them all at once so everyone can go get them that is not feasible <laughs> I did not realize that it would it, it was doable when I didn't have the kid but that you know when I did season one I was just a simply married man with nothing but a 12 pound dog uh, living with my wife but now it's it's just too much. So here's what I'm going to do going forward. I'm still going to keep the podcast going. And I still want to. And it's a lot of fun. And it's just cathartic for me. I love talking about music. And I'll talk about it with myself if I can't get people on the podcast and have guests on. But I will do episode by episode. And I'll record them as I can. So my hope for 2017 is after March and after the college basketball season ends, maybe to do one every every three to four weeks, you know, more than monthly, maybe, you know, maybe three episodes every two months kind of deal and get those up frequently. And uh, for those who have tweeted and asked about, you know, when the podcast is coming back in episodes, I do appreciate that. There were plenty of you who asked that and it's, uh, it's my pleasure to do it for you. And, and thanks for listening. So let's get into what I thought was a, a solid year for music. I didn't think it was a great year. And I saw a lot of people saying that it was, and again, you know, music is such a, it's a personal experience. Everyone has different tastes and they approach music in different ways. And I'm very aware of the fact that as I get older, and I'm 35 now, as I get older, it gets tougher, one, to keep up with everything because there's all this music that came in the past, you know, 30 years of my existence that I discovered in real time, so to speak. And plus there's stuff that happened before I was born. So there's all that music you want to listen to, right? And the inventory keeps growing and the years go by and more and more new stuff comes out. So there's just not enough time to get to listen to everything that you want to listen to. And even when the stuff that comes out comes out, you know, only a handful of the records that I'm going to talk about have I listened to more than six or seven times. I mean, some stuff, a couple records that I have on my favorites I listen to maybe three times, and I usually try and listen to every record that I review at least twice, uh, because I want to give it a full, you know, a full and fair listen at different times of the day or times of the week. I never listen to the same record twice, both, you know, both of those times at eleven thirty at night during the week or something like that. So, if you want to read more about the records, I have a post up over on my site, mattnorlander.com. You can see that um, I have a list of records that I'm not going to talk about that I just didn't get a chance to listen to yet, and there's about 9 or 10 of those. Um, I'll first get into the ones that didn't do too much for me. Um, These were records that were critically praised on almost every year-end top 50, top 25 list I saw. And while they might be good on their own merits, I just didn't have any connection to them. And... I'm always interested, every single year there are records like this. There are albums that come out that get such high praise, and I listen to them, and sometimes I can hear where you know where those things are coming from and, and the compliments and why critics and fans will be so you know gaga over some of these records, but you know your your ears don't lie and your heart doesn't lie. So sometimes it's just impossible for me to connect. For example, Beyonce's Lemonade was considered a top five record by many many people i listened to it twice i'm just not a beyonce fan i've said it on the podcast before 
you know, she's tremendously talented. She is, you know, one of the best entertainers out there and really deserves to be on an all-time list at that table in terms of, you know, entertainment. She's got something to say, but the music itself doesn't connect to me. Um, On a completely different scale, American Band by Drive-By Truckers. Now, the truckers have a lot of the aesthetic that I think that I would normally like, but something about them and the the album is it's got some stuff that i that i thought was pretty good and i think it's an album that avid drive-by trucker fans really really like now i'm not totally into that fan scene but to me it seems like it'd be up there with you know a top three top four all-time truckers record i mean the guitars have some verve to them there's lyrics with intent i feel like there's a lot of meaning packed into a lot of the songs and a lot of those songs, by the way, like you get so much within like a four-minute span. Like they, they know what they want to say, they say it, they're able to explore, and then the song's done. Like, you know, I get the feeling you guys, these guys can really jam if they want, but they don't necessarily feel they have to do that on a record, at least on this record. Um, and it's they're definitely a, a very important band within the history of American Southern Rock. Uh, I don't deny that at all, but there are just certain bands... You know, like the Rolling Stones. I I just can't connect with them. I like four Stone songs, and that's it. And actually, I have a an episode on the Stones upcoming in this podcast feed that I'll hopefully get up uh, later in January here, and I get more into that. But uh, but yeah, American Band Drive-By Truckers, I didn't connect with. Bon Iver's 22 A Million. I, uh, I mean, this one got really good reviews. The reliance on autotune has really passed its saturation point for me. And I understand that this is now sort of a signature of Bon Iver's sound. But, man, I mean, I listened to it and I thought, I don't know if I want to listen to this album three more times in the next five years. You know, what's on there that's drawing me back? Um, I just did not think that the weight from his previous record which was really good, by the way. I mean, you know, Justin Vernon's, he's a talented guy, but I didn't necessarily find too much on this album that was all that interesting or different. Um, and But again, I'm in the minority there. Uh, Mitski's Puberty 2 was, it's that's, that's an album that a lot of people probably don't even know exists, uh, but it was very much a critical darling uh, gave it a chance, didn't really connect with me. And the only other one, Angel Olsen has some stuff in the past that I've liked a lot. Uh, her album uh, from 2016, My Woman, got good reviews. Like like Heart Shaped Face off that record has a, has a good vibrato. There's good spring reverb tones to it with the guitar. I like some of that. Um, I think Those Were the Days is probably the best song on the record. But in terms of a front-to-back album listening experience, I just did not see how it warranted being a top 40 record. But that's, again, just for my ears. The only other two albums that were pretty highly critically reviewed and rated that I did not find myself engaging with were Kanye West's The Life of Pablo. And I go all over the map with Kanye West because some of his stuff, I, you know... Yeezus, I it's not even close. I'm not. I don't connect with that at all. His early albums, I think there's some good stuff on there. 808s and Heartbreak, it's so influential, but you know, and that's kind of like the diehard Kanye West's favorite album, like <laughs> to prove that you're uh, the biggest Kanye fan, you'll list that as like a top two album. Uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy is the one album of his that I genuinely like and and listen to. Um, this. I mean, it, it. first of all, it's weird because he put it out and then after it was released on Tidal, he continually made tweaks and edits to it. And that was something that I don't know if we'd ever seen that before. Like there was a digital va- version of the album released and then subsequent different versions came out. And it was a number of weeks before the final product, you know, he finally settled on it. And it wouldn't shock me, by the way, if down the road, be it later in 2017 or in 2020, if Kanye West was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I I just updated up, updated Pablo again. I think that might be something that he he would do, and it would be kind of cool if he did it. But at the same time, you know, do the album, make a statement, and be content with it, and then move on. Because the reality is, so many bands and artists will make albums, and part of the process of making an album 
And the challenge of it is you need to be able to walk away. You need to be able to create, tinker, take as much time as you want in the studio to do that. And and if you need to, if it takes three weeks to fight over a 40 second segment of a song because it's driving you nuts, listen, there are legendary stories about that. But once you're done, it's done and it's out there. So Kanye West kind of transcended that and continued to tweak it. I didn't find the album all that great. It didn't do much for me. And then Wilco's Schmilko. Now, Wilco's a band that I've talked about before. I have tried probably harder with this band than any other band ever to like them because they've got, you know, three or four all-time great records. But, and I actually liked Star Wars, which was the record that preceded Schmilko. I thought that was a pretty good stoner slacker record. This one, there's some nice parts to it, but when I listened to it, I didn't think, I didn't even, I, I, I thought this might even drift off the radar for critics. I, I was surprised to see it on so many top 50 lists, but a couple notes on it. One, <laughs> there's a song on it called Normal American Kids. Mark my words, I'm telling you it is a lock. Within the next five years, there will be a movie that uses that song, which I believe opens the album, and that, that song will be you know, the musical overlay to start a film or in, in like a, a critical montage. It's just begging for it. Like some misunderstood teen is doing weird things, and you're seeing he or she go throughout their day kind of being a social outcast. And normal American kids is the song on the backdrop. It you can when you hear it, you can just picture it perfectly. Um, as for the record, listen, I like the whole love. I like Star Wars, but those two kind of have, I feel like DNA connections to what Schmilko is. But overall, I don't know. It, it seemed like a decent effort, but nothing there that really, truly hooked me. So, but, you know, more power to him. I'm still intrigued by Wilco, and I'll, <laughs> I'll still keep trying. But, you know, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is considered one of the 10 best albums of, of the 2000s. And I've listened to that record 20 times, probably, no exaggeration. And it just, it still doesn't hook with me. Um, next segment is disappointing or inconsistent slash underwhelming releases. These are records that some of them might have been well-regarded. Some of them might have uh, gotten good critical reviews. Others might have just gotten some buzz. Or others might have been ones that I was looking forward to that didn't quite do it for me. And some of these you'll know. Some of them you might not know. There's a band uh, called Field Music, and they're they're pretty good. They're, they're, uh, they've got good pop sensibilities. Uh, they take some chances. They put on an album this year called Common Time, and it, I think that's meant to be ironic because there's some strange time signature stuff going on there, a lot of experimental stuff. The lyrics to me are some of uh, the weakest of the band's career. Um, the album seems to get a little bit stronger on the back end. Um, the Morning is Waiting, and That's Close Enough for Now are probably the two songs that stand out for me. You can hear some good Steely Dan influence on the album, and they use some uh, some orchestra or orchestral touches here and there. I thought that was pretty good. And again, these are albums that have some bright spots, but overall maybe left me just wanting more. Uh, Common Time by Field Music was one of those, you know, give it maybe a, a C plus or so. The 1975 put out the the year's most strangely titled record, and this is you know this feels straight out of the 2000s when song titles were unnecessarily long and featured like three commas. Um, but their album, I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it. It's it's I I mean it's too long. First of all, it's way too long. I mean this album. I don't have the running time in front of me, but I, I think it's like 82, 83 minutes. It's up there. If they chopped off 30 minutes, it would probably have made me wanting to hear more and maybe would have even come close to cracking my top 15 records of the year. But instead, there's just there's a lot of stuff that feels repetitive, but there are there's good stuff too, like Love Me is a Jam, there's a song on there called This Must Be My Dream, which when I heard it, I thought this would have been a top 10 radio hit in like 1983. 
Um, their lead guitar player is, is pretty solid. He knows his way around a, de a delay and a reverb pedal. I thought there were some good sounds there, some good tones. And a lot of what the band's doing, it, it does feel like kind of like right out of the mid-1980s with, with a good modern twist to it. But the album feels and sounds a little too glossy and a little too polished for me. Uh, and maybe too polished for its own good. But if that's the sound that they're going for, then hey, own it. That's great. Um, but it's just, it's so glossy um, that all that shine kind of creates a, a film that I can't penetrate in terms of like a big time connection. Uh, and again, it's just a little bit too long. The Head and the Heart, you know, when I went on Twitter and I had asked people to kind of pass along some of their favorite records, I got maybe seven or eight responses from people that said Signs of Light by The Head and the Heart was one of their favorites. I've listened to this band a number of times over the past four or five years. This album uh, just didn't do it for me. Um, I, I get what they're doing and I get the sound and I get why it's appealing, but it's just there's a certain earnestness there that's I think fine and good but it's just not I'm not going to connect with that kind of stuff it's similar I, the, the bands don't sound a lot alike but when I when I listen to the head and the heart I kind of get a similar um I guess you know oral aesthetic as like the luminaires and stuff and like that stuff is fine and if you dig it you dig it I, I never besmirch anyone for the music they like to listen to but it it's just not quite for me um now, Radiohead's A Moon-Shaped Pool was also on the list of, of records that I thought were just inconsistent or underwhelming. And this was an album that was obviously on many a, a top ten list. I, it, it just had diminishing returns for me. I, I think Burn the Witch is still awesome. The band putting that song out first as it was teasing the album was a good move because I think it's the best song on the record to be honest, and there's a few highlights on the record overall. But I'm one of those Radiohead fans that still loves the Benz and loves OK Computer and thought In Rainbows was a really nice uh, quasi-comeback to a sound that was more instrumentally based and guitar-driven and closer to what they were in 1996 than what they, you know again drifted back to with you know king of limbs and now moonshade pool now moonshade pool is better than hail to the thief it's better than king of limbs uh it might be better than amnesiac i don't know uh, that's a tough one actually but i just found myself not wanting to listen to the record as the year went on and that's not a good sign to me and then when i you know didn't force myself but i was like okay let, let me try this again in in mid-december um you know, it kind of set the mood fine and, you know, the winter at night and all that stuff. But it, it to me, it's just not it's not a top four Radiohead record. And I feel that sometimes because Radiohead has hit such a status, a major status, that whenever it releases an album, it's obviously such a mega event within music. Uh, I think people are just desperate for the next great Radiohead record. And to me, you cannot call a Moonshaped Pool this. And it also drives me nuts that Moonshaped Pool is not hyphenated. As something of a grammar Nazi, that will forever bother me. Uh, two more records. One from another band who made its best albums in the 90s, and that would be Weezer, which you know released another untitled album, but it's basically the white album because it's a white cover. They've got the whole color scheme going. I think it's a decent Weezer album. You know, give it maybe a B minus. Um, and th by the way, a decent Weezer album in 2016 means a lot. Uh, Thank God for Girls is a song that grew on me probably more than almost any other song this year. Overall, I don't know if the songs on this album will age well against a lot of Weezer's catalog. It's definitely it's definitely not like top three, top four Weezer records, and it's definitely not bottom three. It's right there in the middle. Um, the one thing about it was it felt like a good late career record, but... I didn't sense a, a signature theme sound about the album overall. So good here and there, but just not something that I'll probably find myself wanting to listen to here and there uh, all that often. And the other one that was very highly rated that I was probably most let down by, and I feel I'm still missing something here, is uh, Frank Ocean with Blonde. I I thought, you know, his his debut record that got all the love, Channel Orange, was fantastic. This one, 
man, just there aren't beats. Like, I, I've talked with some people and there's been a lot of, uh, of you know, varied opinions on this album because it's clear that Ocean cares about the product. Um, and I like that. I like that he took time. But at the, at the same time, like the album is too long. The just complete lack of beats and there's no grooves. And whereas like Channel Orange had it had some subtle grooves to it. It had an artist saying something and had me interested in what he was going to say, how he was saying it. I still find that album to be really, really good and one of the best that came out that year in 2012. Blonde is not the same. It's just there is something missing to it for me. But again, your mileage may vary. You might like it a lot, um, but I just couldn't I couldn't connect with it. Uh, next section was these are albums that I liked but didn't necessarily love and they had some some good stuff to it but either I had no I you know I didn't know much about the artist going in didn't have any expectations or you know it's just a step up from being a disappointing album um the first one being Space Dust and Ocean Views by Anders Osborne this was a surprise for me because I wasn't aware of the album until geez December or so um saw a few people recommend it and I thought it was a pretty, it's a pretty solid, it's a solid listen. Um, apparently he's got some, some really more intense uh, albums in the past. He's one of the, he's one of the uh, artists that I discovered this year who I'm going to have to dig in to his discography from years past because there's enough happening on Space Dust and Ocean Views that I was pretty intrigued. Animal Collective, you might have missed it, but <laughs> they came out with an album uh, in 2016. And this is a band that for a time, you know, was you know definitely had definitely hit a a push of of high publicity critical acclaim thanks in large part to you know outfits like pitchfork that uh, pushed it and now it almost felt like their painting with lp was released to uh not a lot of reception i remember they were on stephen colbert show because i'm i'm pretty sure i saw that performance the album is delightfully weird um they they have some good tunes in there like Floridada, which was the quote unquote, I believe single, uh, spilling guts, the burglars, those are all good. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a solid record. I liked it. Uh, if for people that can't get into an animal collective, I totally get it. Um, they're doing a bunch of weird stuff and they're kind of just in your face, but I like, I like that they try, they do something different. I like that. There's not like they became their own band and their own sound with their own thing. And when you hear of bands that might kind of be like them, you know that they're so blatantly influenced by Animal Collective. So I like that. The Ava Brothers put out an album, True Sadness. This one, I first of all, I remember seeing them play on Jimmy Kimmel, and it did not look or sound like the Ava Brothers that I knew. Listen to the album. Um, the first song, <laughs> it does feel like a, a different record altogether. But they've got other tunes like Mama, I Don't Believe. Um, um, that's, it, it drifts back more to what you think an Ava Brothers album should be. But I like parts of it, not the whole thing. Isn't a top three Ava Brothers record. But I like that they're still doing their thing. And you know the music world is better for having an act like the Ava Brothers continue to really care about the craft of songwriting and just putting together good songs with some earnestness, some really good harmonies, and some self-awareness as well. And there was definitely, you know, if you know the story of the Avits, there was some, you know, real life, uh, you know, stuff behind a lot of the making of this record that I think enhances it overall. Rick Rubin produced it, and I don't know if the pairing totally worked, but good enough. Um, Band of Horses put out an album, Why Are You Okay? And I think I'm ready to accept the fact that this band is going to be, and I'd love to be wrong, but my, my expectation is that this band is going to be the kind of group that had three fantastic albums when it started, and everything that will come after that will just n not be able to, to live up to it, because Everything All the Time came out in 2006, Cease to Begin came out in 2007, and Infinite Arms came out in 2010. And Why Are You Okay, which came out in 2016, is the fifth record. Mirage Rock was 2012. Some people think that Everything All the Time and Cease to Begin even far outpace Infinite Arms. I 
strongly disagree. I think Infinite Arms is the band's best record. Um, Mirage Rock was a huge disappointment. I don't know one person that likes the band that likes that album. Why Are You Okay was a good return to form. Uh, I think it was underrated uh, when it got to the end of the year. Um, it's Listen, it's, it's since it's such a strong rebound after Mirage Rock, um, it's, it's just a big relief. And if they make albums on the level of Why Are You Okay for their next three, four, five efforts, uh, that would be fine by me. And the fact that they even made three albums as good as Everything All the Time, Cease to Begin, and Infinite Arms, to me, personally, you know, they're, they're playing with house money at this point. Um, Chance the Rapper, Coloring Book. Really cool album. I gave it a chance because actually when I asked people what album I should listen to when I posted that on Twitter as I was kind of getting my year-end stuff together, Chance the Rapper, I think, had more responses than any other album out there. It's colorful. There's definitely a Kanye influence that, to me, wasn't like... It didn't make the album better for me just because I go so here and there with Kanye. But it, it's fun. It can be serious. Songs like Smoke Break and Same Drugs I thought were good. All Night's a really good one. Uh, Finish Line Slash Down is a good one. I'm not I'm not massive into hip hop. I, I'm basically a guy, and I've said this on the podcast before. I'm I've got like ten to twelve hip hop artists over the years that I've liked, but I am so not well versed in the genre. So that when stuff will will hit me and catch me, and I and I find it interesting, I definitely really pay attention to it. There's enough there with Chance that I'm. I'm eager to see what else he does in the future and will at least follow him because he seems really, really talented. I know he's really young. And, you know, if Kendrick Lamar is the, you know, super mega star on the rise within hip hop right now, and he is one, he's a guy that I think is ridiculously talented, like fantastic, could be an all timer. I think Chance might be the next guy right behind him who, over the next two, three years, becomes really really big uh in that regard in terms of having mainstream appeal and big time critical appeal because there are there are artists like like drake and future that have super mainstream appeal and and huge fan bases uh but might not be consistently critically praised um in a different realm there's a band uh called culture abuse put out an album called peach album took me by surprise uh really good guitar sounds really good drummer it's a fast album it's done in like 30 minutes and so it's a punk record so you know you know any punk record worth its salt never cracks the 40 minute mark basically and uh i'm not huge on punk because i was never a totally rebellious kid and once you get to your 30s you know if you didn't like punk at 14 and if you didn't like punk at 18 and especially if you didn't like punk by the time you got out of college then you're probably just not going to be someone that connects with that music but you know there's some good stuff when you hear it um and and to me culture abuse was the kind of band that is part of that and another band was uh pup they had an album called the dream is over and i wrote on the site i said listen if i was 22 and not 35 i'd have a better chance at connecting with the music but that doesn't mean i can't think it's quality and see what's good about it and i thought that album as well was really good i thought the the lyrics on it were interesting i was actually hearing what they were saying and that to me is a sign of a really good uh punk band is that it's not just about just the pure aggressiveness and guttural noises from a lead singer it's this is if they if you can get an audience to listen to what you're saying as a punk punk band and if you can have some cleverness in your lyrics then you really have a lot of power and i thought uh, i thought pup did that moving on a couple more albums here that that had some highlights to me um Dawes's We're All Gonna Die. Uh, this got recommended. I would not have listened to this if I didn't have a number of people push it on me. And I, listen, it's it's solid. Um, Dawes isn't a band that I, you know, have all that much knowledge of. I've listened to some stuff in the past. But uh, it, it's, it's an interesting band. It, it almost feels like a band that will have a lot of success over a 15 to 20 year period. Um, and we'll have a, you know, there'll be a band who might have a song or two on 
you know, on people's Spotify lists or Amazon Prime lists, but wouldn't necessarily be anyone's absolute all-time favorite band. Enough there that I'm intrigued to see what they do going forward. Um, We're All Gonna Die didn't land on a lot of year-end top 50 lists. I think it was on, like, Rolling Stones or whatever. But, again, that's the kind of band Dawes is, is it won't be on any, you know, underground critical lists or any of, like, you know, the stereo gum or the noisy or the pitchfork or the AV club. But in terms of bigger publications like Rolling Stone, you'll see their stuff there. Uh, Jaguar Ma had an app, had an album called every now and then I was let down at first, listened to it a second time, felt a little bit better about it. Listened to it a third time, felt even better about it. It's not nearly as good as their first album, which was Howland, which is awesome. This one is a grower um, and I do hope that I like it more, you know, in 2019 than I did in 2016. Um, but I do highly, highly recommend it. If you have not listened to Jaguar Ma's Howlin', get to that. And the band's name is spelled J-A-G-W-A-R-M-A, Jaguar Ma. M83, which put out one of the best albums a few years back, released a new record in 2016 entitled Junk. And, man, this one... This one was kind of scattered, but at the same time made me pay attention in that regard. There's a lot of influence from the past 50 years, basically. You get some good 60 sounds, good 70 sounds, um, good experimentation here. And to me, it's got the best song featuring a harmonica of any song I heard in 2016. And it's called Sunday Night 1987. Uh... I believe that closes the album as well. Uh, A really good way to close it up. M83, some good stuff. Um, This is not on the level of of previous albums, but still, you know, enough to to see there and enough to like there. A couple more that I enjoyed, and I hope you're enjoying me kind of running down this, because there was a lot out there, and there's a lot for for people to discover. So if there's anything here that you're interested in and that you were unaware of or just haven't gotten to uh please just hit me up let me know on on twitter or feel free to email me and uh i'm always willing to hear some response back and i also feel that it's more productive to kind of talk this out than have a guest on to talk year-end music but i might try and do that more in the future um but these are just the records and how i responded to them so i figured this is the best avenue to to kind of get all that out a band i discovered this year was a band called the OCs who might produce more albums in a shorter span than anyone going today. They they are creating records at a pace that's insane and they've had different personnel over the years. They had two albums come out in 2016. The one that stood out to me was called A Weird Exits and definitely prog rock leanings, um, good rhythms, good jams sometimes they kind of lean on an idea for too long and and songs can drag here and there but there's enough there there's definitely a genesis you know early genesis yes king crimson influence there but feels modern like doesn't feel like you know they wish that they were playing and on the scene in 1978 or anything like that so it's it, it was a an album that you know you don't you don't get it on the first listen but there's enough there that'll hook you and uh definitely recommend and certainly a band whose catalog i need to kind of deeper dig deeper into from uh from years past pine grove put out an album called cardinal this one was fairly well regarded on year-end lists on many a top 50 lists um kind of a garage band type sound uh some good lyrics some mild mild emo-ish uh you know sensibilities in my opinion waveform was i think the the song on the album that stood out to me most um what i couldn't decide was when i was listening to it and i've listened to i think i've only listened to it three times i couldn't tell if i was if i'd like it you know four or five years from now there are some records that within a given year and this is the fun of of writing all this stuff down and recording it and kind of cataloging it you never know what's going to last personally for your tastes. So this was an album that I liked enough to include on the list, but I don't know if I'm going to even, you know, think about or enjoy it three or four years from now. It, some of that stuff is uh, it's impossible to predict. Three more records and then I'll get to my top 15. 
the Struts put out an album that technically was not released in 2016. It was re-released. It was titled Everybody Wants. Shout out to Drew McGarry of Deadspin who tweeted and wrote about this band plenty to the point where I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look them up. Uh, they are glam pop rock, aggressive, optimistic, trashy, really interesting. Some some good hits. Uh, Put Your Own Money On Me, She Makes Me Feel Like, and These Times Are Changing are songs to me that I, that I jotted down that I liked. I think I only listened to this album twice. But fun band, a band I'd love to see live to see if they can, not that they, I'm sure they can translate from record to live, but I'm sure um, that their live experience is so much better. But I'd be interested to see if they can pull off some of the stuff they did on the record live. That's uh, Everybody Wants by The Struts. Starboy by The Weeknd. This one was a late release. It's not as good as Beauty Behind the Madness, which I had on my favorite records of 2015. But, you know, it's it's good to see artists that, especially when they're young and hungry, that are able to put out albums, you know, within a year, year and a half's time. We're seeing that with The weekend. there. Starboy was the song that you've no doubt heard if you're listening to this podcast because it was everywhere. Uh, Secrets, Sidewalks were also really good. This is another album, though, while it had some a lot of good stuff about it, it did feel too long. That was a, a theme that I felt was more common this year is I listen to a lot of records, and I hope it wasn't me and kind of being eager. I, I try, and when I listen, I try and, like, you know, make myself available to the record, but th- it did feel like there were a number of albums that were just too, too long. Like, sometimes just cut two or three songs you rather would leave us wanting more and have the ability to not go as long and i'm very aware of uh myself recording a podcast and i'm going to try and keep under 60 minutes as i do all this last album among the ones that i would consider honorable mentions but not quite good enough for my top list was the getaway red hot chili peppers this was one of the big surprises for me because the Peppers, listen, they're they're easy to make fun of, and they've had this run where they've, you know, they've been one of the 40 biggest American bands in music for the past, you know, 25, 30 years now at this point. And because of that, um, you know, they get their share of critics, and Anthony Kiedis's rap rock tendencies can be weird and totally unnecessary at times but also they they're a signature of his sound and his delivery and sometimes also it really really works but when you look at what the peppers have done the albums they've put out there's a lot of good stuff in there i actually i dare challenge that they are underrated as a band even though they've had some stuff that's you know not great overall i feel that they've done a pretty good job and for them to put out this kind of album at this stage in their career really the november of their career so to speak i thought was it was damn good i mean goodbye angels is a song that stood out to me um encore was really really good so listen they don't have frusciani on guitar anymore and that's a bummer because he he obviously defined a lot of what the old pepper sound was but in general this was a really good effort by an aging rock band who could have put out a much worse record. The Getaway is worth uh, giving a listen to if you haven't already. And now, the top here are my top 15 albums of 2016. Would be interested to see if uh, where you'd rank some of these or any of these or if you thought some of these were totally overrated because I have no doubt listed a few records that you might have considered in your top five that I thought were either overrated or didn't connect for me. 15 was Wolfmother's Victorious. This is a band who I don't know enough about. I've listened to Random Wolfmother over the years, but I, I don't know enough about their albums and records enough. Uh, great guitars, good riffs, distinct voice. Makes me feel like they're a band that would have been really good in 1973 and played arenas but because of the current culture of music today they simply just have a small hardcore devout following and play club shows and kick ass doing it uh pretty peggy is a pretty good song the title track victorious is good the album overall is very strong and while it's 15 on my list i think i listened to it like it was a top five listen for me part of that was because it was released in february so i you know i listened to it so so much as opposed to the number 14 album 
on my list, which came out in mid-November, and so I only listened to it about three or four times. And it's a different kind of album. It's Zonky by Umphreys McGee, and Zonky is a mashup of Zebra and Donkey. <laughs> and it's a mashup because the album is nothing but cover mashups. Now, this is the kind of thing that only Umphreys McGee, I think, can do. They are the most talented and nimble and diverse rock act. And I, t- I talked about this on a, on the previous podcast with their bass player, Ryan Stasek, who was on the pod. There just isn't a band that can you know, shapeshift the way that this band can. So they've got this album full of covers from all sorts of genres, Beastie Boys, Fleetwood Mac, Frank Zappa. It's all over the map. It's fantastic. Nirvana, MGMT, um, you know, Can't Rock My Dream Face has Michael Jackson, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting. And the vocals are the only thing about the album because, and actually the, the ironic part about the band is uh, their two lead singers, they both have strong vocals, but their drummer who doesn't sing that much is predominantly featured on this record because he has the most bombastic, he has the best voice in the band. Um, but the only thing that might prevent you from totally latching on to this really ambitious project is the fact that you'll hear the vocals within the covers and it just they sound just mildly off because the intonation isn't what you normally expect from the songs that they're covering but it's super awesome and i thought it was great 13 is teens of denial by car seat headrest this one was a top 10 album on a lot of lists i did not know what to do i i like it enough where i had to put it on but this is definitely an album where i wonder if i'm even going to remotely want to listen to it five years from now or maybe i find it just as endearing as i do those early strokes records and when you listen to car seat headrest uh, Will Toledo is the front man. You, his delivery, so reminds you of Julian Casablancas that it's it's undeniable. Um, but I do also when I was listening to it, and I wrote about this on the site. To me, when I hear Car Seat Headrest and this album in particular, I think like, okay, this is the kind of band where if they had, if they existed in like 1986, they would have influenced Kurt Cobain. And if Kurt Cobain was alive today, I think he would champion a band like this what they're doing the common criticism that i have for this album is it's long the songs are long it's more than 70 minutes it's 12 song album but sometimes some of these songs just feel like they could have 45 seconds to two minutes cut off to have a a bigger impact overall um standout songs fill in the blank destroyed by hippies 1937 state park are the ones that i thought were the best number 12 Solange's A Seat at the Table. I would not have listened to this album. Like, I'm not going to, you know, fake it here. Female R&B is not a genre that I naturally am drawn to, but doesn't mean I don't like the occasional uh, tune when it comes to that kind of stuff. But because this album got so much critical acclaim, I obviously wanted to check it out. It's a lot of why I checked out uh, Beyonce, who is obviously Solange's sister. This one, whereas Beyonce's album, I didn't really connect with it. I did not find any hooks. This is way different. This is, there's some interludes on there, you know, spoken interludes that that to me, you know, they kind of connect the album, but didn't do anything for me. I was just kind of focused on the music overall. And Solange's voice is awesome. She's got really good things to say. There are great beats on this album and it goes, it fluctuates between being aggressive, having a laid back vibe um yeah i just thought it was great and i and i wanted to make sure that i was you know listening to what she had to say and i didn't want to like overrate it or underrate it i wanted to truly place this album within everything that i listened to and yeah number 12 i thought a seat at the table was was fantastic um number 11 is blood orange's freetown sound that came out in june and Okay, so the closest thing that I could find in terms of album style and genre and artist to Blood Orange is Frank Ocean. And whereas Ocean's album is void of beats, void of hooks, a lot a lot foggier and dreamier and just laid back and, and slow-pulsed, Freetown Sound is tremendous. It has great hooks great beats the grooves dig in you they are fantastic and by the way some compelling subject matter good lyrics 
Um, there's a song on there that's a duo called Best to You. Thought it was awesome. I, I, I was angry that I didn't hear it more often, and I never listened to the radio, but you know, even, you know when songs are, are either big radio hits or they just have big public consumption? Best to You, to me, was a song like, if Best to You was created and performed by, you know, Drake and Rihanna, or just even like, not even superstars on that level, but more well-known mainstream superstars than, than Blood Orange, it would have been like a top five song of 2016. I thought it was it was that good. Um, there's a song on there called EVP, and and go ahead and listen to that tune. It sounds, and this is what I, I love. I love when artists can take influences from decades ago, put them into new songs and sounds, and and give them a modern feel with a clear connection to something from long, long ago. EVP does that. It feels like something out of 1990 to me. Um, really funky so the the whole album isn't isn't filled with must listen stuff but there's enough there that the good stuff is really really good and uh it lands at number 11 top 10 frightened rabbits painting of a panic attack really good band will probably forever just have uh a hardcore following uh get critical acclaim but this is this is a a strong record with really powerful songs um i am surprised the band doesn't have a bigger following i they're climbing up my list of of bands that i that i really really enjoy with every single record like i don't think they've put out a bad record yet and they've been around a while uh they come from scotland fantastic group you got to be in the mood for it but it's it's definitely good um I, I can't give it really a higher endorsement than this. And it was on some year-end lists, but I felt not enough. To me, it was underrepresented, Frightened Rabbits, Painting of a Panic Attack. Number nine is an album that was technically released in 2016, didn't get a physical release until 2017, but it is Run the Jewels's, Run the Jewels 3. It came out uh, by surprise free download digitally on December 24th. And this one was hard to rate and rank because I listened to it, I think, just twice before I put together my my list. And I've since listened to it a, a couple more times. I have it at nine. I'm pretty content with that. It's not as good as Run the Jewels 2, but it is better than the first album, Run the Jewels. Uh, they, their beats are so good. Killer Mike and LP have great deliveries. They play so well off each other. Uh, Talk to Me, Panther Like a Panther, Legend Has It. Those are songs that are all really good standouts. Man, they are they are fun. And the weird thing to me is, so in covering college hoops, I, I'll sometimes talk with players about you know the music they like, and almost all of them will just list hip-hop stars or whatever. I've yet to have one college basketball player know who Run the Jewels is, and yet they're very critically acclaimed. They're like, they're totally for music. Like, mid-30s white guys love Run the Jewels. But it's not just that. Like, it's it's very interesting. But, hey, listen, they're politically aware. They got something to say. They deliver. They go harder than any artist, really. Like, I'm not into the hardcore underground rap scene. So I know that there are some bad mofos out there. But in terms of, <laughs> in terms of rappers with something strong to say in a forceful delivery, but, like, one with, with groove and intelligence and real dexterity to me it just doesn't get better than run the jewels they're at number nine number eight is man machine poem by the tragically hip this is a record that subsequently got a lot of attention because it was mostly written and produced and made before uh the band's lead singer gord downey was diagnosed with brain cancer and 2016 was an emotional year for the band and its fans because there was a farewell tour um Downey's uh, brain cancer is, is forcing him to to step away, and with that, I actually like this is legitimately a really really good album. I mean, the hip has has some strong stuff from earlier in their career, but you'll notice I've mentioned a few bands who have made some strong late career records, and for me, no band that is so clearly in the second half of its career made a stronger push than what the hip did with Man Machine Poem. Really, really impressive uh, impressive output over here overall. Came out in June. Here in the Dark and Tired as Fuck 
are two songs on there that stood out to me personally. Now, number seven is Jim James's Eternally Even. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was underrepresented on year-end lists for top 50. It wasn't on many lists at all, in fact. It's not as good as Regions of Light and Sounds of God, which came out in 2013 and was James's other solo effort. But I, I don't know. More and more, I, I'm noticing that I'm liking artists that are taking sounds that were prevalent in the 70s and giving them modern updates and incorporating them into their songwriting. And James does that. He's got some earnest stuff. He's got some tongue-in-cheek stuff on this. Really a, a good representation of how James is a different kind of songwriter with good sensibilities for how he wants to perform like he feels like a performer when you hear him talk in interviews and discuss things it's it's different from the persona he takes on when uh when he's in my morning jacket or when he's doing solo stuff to me that was the number seven record of the year number six was Sturgill Simpson's A Sailor's Guide to Earth and I am a Sturgill convert at this point now I'm not a country fan I I'm, I've never have been but Simpson and guys like Chris Stapleton if you want to include Jason Isbell kind of in there, they are definitely expanding the definition of what quote-unquote country is or, or could or should be. There's obviously some alternative influences there. Simpsons Band is fantastic. You get a lot of that on this record. A lot of blurred edges over what is, you know, even the, the concept of contemporary, true, gritty country music. Uh, Welcome to Earth has kind of like a slow start to it, and then the band kicks in, and it's a fantastic opener. Um, In Bloom, the Nirvana cover got some run this year for how interesting it was because it was a a truly a good twist. Like, he covered a song and made it his own. Uh, Brace for Impact is my favorite song on the record. This one grew on me, and Sturgill is... He is the real deal, and there's there's a reason why he has just become so well renowned respected and sought after in such a short time and this is a guy by the way that came to the game in music in his 30s he did not jump in right away he was kind of an everyman that has managed to make it into uh, something of a star uh, certainly a borderline superstar in the country scene that's really impressive number five is david bowie's black star this is an album and for those that listen to my bomani jones david bowie podcast you'll know that i had not really ever gotten into Bowie's uh, collection. I've since done that and definitely overcome, I guess, what I consider to be a hurdle given how different uh, Bowie's career was. This record I have is top five in 2016, and I would probably put and some of those records by Bowie, I've still only listened to once all the way through. But to me, I would I would rank it probably among the five or six best Bowie records. And for the fact that he did this you know, in the year leading up to his death, which was a surprise to everyone because he, not everyone, but he did keep his his cancer relatively uh, unknown and was outside of the public eye when it came to his health. Overall, Lazarus was one of the best songs from 2016. It's the best song on the album. Uh, Dollar Days was also really good. Um, Really just, it's so good because it leaves you wanting more. I mean, the album isn't even 42 minutes long. It's, what, eight or nine tracks, really strong, powerful. It's got some avant-garde aspects to it as well. Uh, rightfully on a lot of year on top lists, I fully agree. Anderson Paik's Malibu came out in January, so it came out a year ago, and I did not get to this album until, I don't know, late November. Holy crap, man. Really good. This guy is crazy talented, and he's done some songwriting stuff, album producing stuff, collaborating stuff for a while, and now it's kind of breaking through on his own merits. In a lot of ways, he's almost like the... He's not really hip-hop, but he's like the hip-hop version of, of Chris Stapleton, who uh, is finally getting his own due. Songs like Put Me Through, uh, Am I Wrong, are really, really good. Your Prime, Come Down. Um, there's some Kendrick Lamar happening here. Great songwriter, vibrant sound. The bass on this record is just spine-bendingly good. Fantastic album. Uh, One of the big surprises for me. And then my number three record is also a big surprise because I didn't know about the band until 
I don't know, two months ago. Uh, Kaleo released an album called AB, came out in June. The lead singer is crazy good, really, really talented. Um, the, this band, is his name is J.J. Julius Sun. <laughs> so they're from Iceland, so all their last names end in Sun. <laughs> and uh, they've got some black keys to them, but as I wrote, like, if you're not feeling what black keys have become over the past like three or four years, but you want to know, you're kind of hoping what they would grow into. A lot of what Kaleo is doing is in that, but it's not just that. It's not just straight up, like, simple hard blues. There's some acoustic stuff here that's really good, like All the Pretty Girls is a really, really good song. And some, just some good, aggressive rock overall. Um, some foot stomping styles here. The most underrated record of the year, I think because it was not really on many year-end lists. The band's not that well-known. Kaleo AB, I highly, highly, highly endorse it. So now we're down to my top two. Can you guess what they're going to be? Bet some people can think, uh, he hasn't gotten to one that's probably going to be in his top two. The other one, unless you follow me on Twitter, you probably don't know it, but this one, I think I looked across like, 40 different year-end lists, and this album was on the top 50 of one of them. It's Ray LaMontagne's Ouroboros. This is his best record, and I don't get why it didn't get more love. came out in March, so it didn't arrive late. It is superb. It is well-produced, tremendous songs, uh, good melodies, a lot of powerful moments a lot of tender moments uh to me it was a record made specifically with the intent of playing it on vinyl because there's you know a part one to the record and a part two and the sounds are different it's big it's got one of the best guitar riffs hey no pressure has a guitar riff on there that is fantastic by the way this album was produced by jim james um i don't know man maybe i'm just part of a small club here but this was an awesome record and La Montaigne's had some good stuff in the past maybe had you know kind of been underwhelming in recent years this is more than a return I think this is by far the best album he's ever made I have it at number two and then number one well how about this after people thought this group would never make another album again a tribe called quest goes out makes we got it from here thank you for your service it came out on November 11th this comes, you know, seven months after Fife Dog, one of the founding members, and the spirit of the group uh, passes away. Um, and in wake of that, you have an album that is right there with the Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders. This is, they have now created a, a, a three-pack of all-time epic records. Um, from the start of the space program, which starts the album, then the blending into We the People, which the first time I heard it within the first 20 seconds, it felt like an instant classic. It just, you've probably heard the song, even if you don't know Tribe, I bet you've heard the song and you don't even realize it. And if you haven't heard the song, go look up We the People, listen to it, hear Q-Tip's brilliance, you'll see why that really is on the short list of the very best songs of 2016 thought it was awesome that in 2016 a tribe called quest even if it's not the number one record for you and for some critics for me it was number one regardless it was on so many lists and rightfully so um because it was just so well produced really smart good beats and that's the thing like when you listen to tribe they want to make you feel better it is an uplifting group even when a lot of the stuff that they're rapping and talking about uh, it, it's socially conscious and it's politically conscious, but it's not overwrought with that kind of stuff. And so uh, Q-Tip's ability to produce and write lyrics, is it, it's very nimble and, and very uh, a very good thing for the genre overall. This is going to be it in terms of Tribe as we know them because, you know, much like the Beastie Boys losing MCA and never being the Beastie Boys again, without Fife, there is no Tribe. And so um, the performances we saw on Saturday Night Live afterward without Fife, they were inspiring, but, you know, there's obviously a bittersweet, empty feel there. But uh, but that is my number one record in, in what was, I thought, a good, not great year for music. I think 2017 sets up to be better given who is slated to release records this year and some personal favorites of mine. But we'll see. Overall, listen, every year we get 
we get gems and we get more and more stuff and there are you know disappointments as well and, and delays between albums and all that stuff but it's always interesting to see what happens i hope this was a good guide for you i mean it was a lot of me just kind of rambling to a, a certain extent but i like to give you a good idea of, of stuff that hit with me why it hit what you might like about certain bands or if you if you haven't heard a certain band its sound might be similar to other bands i'm always willing able ready to listen to suggestions from others there are albums from 2016 that i still haven't gotten to from you know fish and bob mold that untitled unmastered you know kendrick lamar album which wasn't like a proper album i still haven't gotten to that i didn't get to leonard cohen's you want it darker yet didn't get to pj harvey's album didn't get to that uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seas album, Skeleton Tree, which was highly re reviewed and rated. So there's some that I just not have the time to get to yet, so that's why I didn't talk about them. But overall, I uh, thought it was pretty good. So for those who have, uh, who have listened, thank you again. I will get those other uh, podcasts that I have done up on the channel soon. So you'll have those to kind of hold you over until uh, mid-April. And then once college basketball season ends... I will try to effectively do a podcast once every three to four weeks, keep it relatively fresh, because there's plenty I want to talk about as well. So thank you once again. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, at Records and Riffs. I'll also kind of revive that, start tweeting a bit more, and hopefully we can get some, uh, some well-known people on here to discuss some more things with music all around. And uh, here's to a great 2017. Thank you.